You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Wide to the left circle. Back into the slot. Lost the puck. Never got a shot free, and the Predators win. They come from behind. I mean, obviously, we don't want to. You know, we don't want that to happen. Uh, i not coming in here and laughing and telling jokes. And the pitch is lifted to right by Cassianos. Long run for Tucker over toward the line and foul territory. Makes the catch and the Houston Astros do it again. 2022 World Series champions. They told me in spring training that they were going to win it. Now, what's next? Party. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Okay, I got to start a new thing here. To everyone that's listening on their traditional terrestrial radio, to everyone that's listening online, to everyone that's going to download the podcast, and now to everybody that's watching us stream live on Sportsnet now. Good morning. Whoa, we're on TV? Uh, sort of. We're on a streaming mobile app. Briefly. Oh. Until they watch, and they're like, who are these guys? Why God. does he have a sticker on his laptop that says <laughs> repair? It's from two years ago. It can't come off. Uh, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show in the morning. We are uh, brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. I mentioned off the top, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell them more about Kintech. Oh, Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. .net. So, do we have to change anything now that we're? I mean, we've screamed, we've we've streamed on Twitter before, but yeah. Whatever. Like, are people now like? Do we have to be mindful of not fighting mm. during the show? I'm, I'm, or... I'm dressing up, fixing up, looking sharp. I'm wearing all blue. More so, the I'm nose picking. You got to cut hey. back. The uh, nose picking, scratching, yeah. the scratching, yawning, right. the yawning, the, the adjusting the... of certain body parts yeah. on camera. Yeah. Completely. Ignoring the other person when that other person is talking to you. Getting a little yawny over here. I'm sorry, I'm just making rude I get the gestures. vibe that these two guys hate each other. I don't know right, if anybody else bit. picks this up, yeah. but uh, yeah. It'll okay. be fun. Okay, okay. I'm excited to be here today. You guys good? You guys ready for a Monday show? We got a lot to get into today. Yes. A-Dog, A-Dog got a haircut. Unfortunately, not... I'm not on the stream, so mm. people can't see that. Right. I'm learning. I'll take your word for it. Hey, I'm learning. I'm learning <laughs> as we go along. Okay, we have a big show today. Um, our first guest, to be determined. We know we're going to talk to Joe Haggerty from Boston Hockey Now. We just don't know when. Because oh. this morning, uh, Bruins president Cam Neely is going to speak about the uh, Mitchell Miller situation. Okay. For those of you that didn't see this overnight, uh, Mitchell Miller, the much maligned, I will call him a prospect, although now he's no longer in the Bruins organization, uh, who I we will go into greater detail about um, the – case and the situation that he brought to the table but joe was going to join us at 6 30 to talk about the situation cam neely's going to speak at six ah so we're going to wait to 
talk to Joe after Cam Neely is done addressing the situation. Obviously, a lot happened on Sunday with regards to the NHL coming mm. out against the Mitchell Miller signing, uh, the backlash, and then obviously the Bruins <laughs> walking away from the player. I hope uh, the Bruins put uh, more effort and research into their press conference than they so, did into signing Mitchell Miller. That's a big part of this, and we're going to talk to Hags about that, is how could you do so little due, so little due diligence on signing a player this controversial? It oh, almost boggles the mind. I shouldn't laugh, but no. they screwed it up so badly. So not only did they fail themselves, they failed their players. They definitely failed Mitchell Miller's victim and the victim's family. But for all the people out there screaming, and there's quite a few of them, believe it or not, like, give this kid Mitchell Miller a chance. Like, what do we don't believe in second chances? They also really failed Mitchell Miller. Yes. Because they signed this kid. They didn't dot their I's and cross their T's, and then everyone observing this situation went, hey, what about those undotted I's and T's that weren't crossed? Lowercase J's. And you guys, and then all of a sudden, they're forced into this reversal because they didn't go through the process of making sure that everything that Mitchell Miller told them was actually accurate. It was a master class in failure. They they, they, they screwed up for Everyone. So to be determined, we will talk to our good buddy Joe Haggerty from uh, Boston Hockey Now. Yes. 7.30. He'll join us at 7.30. 7.30. Very good. So that'll be our second guest. Count it. Look at this. I can do things on camera and people can see it. We're going to have to be a more visual show now. Mm-hmm. Okay. You ready for this? No. I got the piece. Like the up. reverse flashcards, like Wayne's World style? Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, so 7.30, Joe Haggerty. 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders. Uh, the Seahawks move one step closer to being Super Bowl champions. On the weekend, an amazing, amazing story that, you know what, actually becomes less amazing week by week because they just keep winning football games. It's really impressive. We'll talk to Mike about everything that happened uh, in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are a disaster. Tom Brady kind of won a football game. We'll talk about that. There's a lot to get into in the NFL. So 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier. 7.30, Joe Haggerty. 8 o'clock, Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet as we look back. On what was a very, very disappointing, in a line of very, very disappointing losses for the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday. What, it, what, are, you, what are you talking about? They've got they got a point. So they've got points in, what are they, 3-1-1 one, and one in their last five? They are 3-1-1. They're, one, one. They They're on fire. Why are you so negative about them blowing another <clears throat> multi-goal lead? How many, how, how many games, anyone off the top of their head, how many games have the Canucks played this year? Just yell it out. It's fine. Anyone? Anyone? 12. Very good. Uh, how many times have they blown multi-goal leads this year? Mm, Anyone? Five? Anyone? You include yes. multiple? Five? Five. five? five times? Almost 50% of their games, they've led by two or more goals. <laughs> and they, they've blown it. And I haven't won a single one of them. That is a remarkable statistic that we don't talk enough about. So that's your list of guests. 8 o'clock, Ian McIntyre. 7.30, Joe Haggerty. 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier. Uh, Monday Night Football tonight, it is the Ravens and it is the Saints. There's only three NHL games tonight. I don't think they actually played basketball yesterday because apparently there's 15, 15 NBA games tonight. I think there's actually non-NBA teams playing NBA games tonight. And uh, we missed it already, but at 3 o'clock our time, the Champions League draw for the round of 16. There was a lot of soccer news on the weekend, especially as it pertains to Canada. So we'll get into that as well. Look, bottom line, every time we come in here on a Monday, there's a million things to talk about. There's a lot to tell you about. So without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened. 
Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? You know what? We're on camera for the first time. Screw it. We're going to start with the BC Lions. <laughs> That's it. Oh, we, we have to. They, they deserve it. The BC Lions deserve it. They're uh, a local team that has come up big time after time this season. Um, I cannot think of a better way for Amar Doman to start his ownership of the BC Lions. Uh, I was at BC Place yesterday, and the BC Lions thoroughly beat the Calgary Stampeders to advance to the Western final against a very good Winnipeg Blue Bombers mm-hmm. uh, team. And whoever wins that game goes to the Grey Cup in Regina. So they get to go to uh, Regina in November, which is not a punishment. Nope. It's actually a reward sort of, to go play in the Grey Cup. Uh, yesterday, the Lions played well everywhere. They really did. Say I, in all facets. It makes uh, you sound like a football You know guy. what? In all facets? Yeah, I don't even know if their special teams were that good. Mm. They're fine. Okay. But <laughs> on both sides facets. of the ball, they were really impressive. Uh, defensively, they uh, held the Stampeders running game. Mm-hmm. And Jake Mayer forced him out of the game. Yes. Popular singer Jake Mayer. Yes. His body is a wonderland. And then the veteran Bo Levi Mitchell had to come in, and he was a little bit better. That was his swan song, his farewell to Calgary. Well, I think a lot of Stampeders fans were were like, "Uh, you should have started this game. (laughs) Uh, So defensively, the Lions were good. And offensively, that was the story, really, because we finally got to see Nathan Rourke back in a full game. He played a little against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, in the final week of the regular season. And he looked kind of like, okay, a little bit shaky. Mm -hmm. He looked a lot better against the Calgary Stampeders. And Antonio Pipkin comes in on a third and short, and the Stampeders are like, okay, well, he's going to do the quarterback sneak again because that's typically what he did. What did he do? Threw a touchdown pass. Yeah, uh, Rick Campbell said after the game that they had that one in their back pocket. The sort of, we look like we're going to go for short yardage and a plunge with the quarterback here. As long as they were in positive yardage on the field, they took advantage of it. So it is a 30-16 to 16 win for the BC Lions. These are the numbers right now. 30-16 win for the BC Lions as they advance to the Western Final. Nathan Rourke, as Jason mentioned, very accurate passing. 22 of 30, 321 yards and two touchdowns. He did not look 100% healthy by no stretch of the imagination. He's obviously gutting and gritting this out right now. But to pass as efficiently as he did and take the hits that he did. I mean, he got hit a bunch of times. He got sacked four times, and he just hung in. And what you saw was not necessarily the Nathan Rourke that needs to make plays with his feet, but the Nathan Rourke that can deliver the ball quickly and accurately out of the pocket. Yeah, he took off early in the game, and he looked he looked okay. Uh, running, but then I noticed like he didn't do that again. <laughs> like enough of that. I tried there, were, there were a couple moments where he threw some risky passes uh, that could have been picked off. Fortunately, they weren't. But uh, you mentioned that Bo Levi Mitchell came into the game for the Stampeders, and here's a guy that's accomplished a lot in the CFL. Here's a guy that knows what it takes to play quarterback in the CFL, and here's what Bo Levi Mitchell of the Calgary Stampeders said about Nathan Rourke. You know, you got to give hats off to BC. They 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 balled out. Um, <laughs> that offense is special. 
you know, starts with 12 and, and goes to those receivers and everybody um, deserves the credit. But, uh, you know, 12 is definitely a special guy. And, uh, you know, he, he willed it. You know, they, you can tell that they played different under him. Um, yeah, man, I just wish, uh, you know, we could have done the same. You mentioned you were in attendance for this game. You were one of the 30,114 fans in attendance for the game in what was uh, apparently a chilly BC place. Yeah, it was cold in there. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was actually a very cold day and, and the coldest was coming out of BC place. Right. And then you got to walk to your car and it, w- it was freezing. It was real it was real hardcore football weather. <laughs> so yeah. kind of hardcore football guys like myself like they 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 don't mind it so much. I was wearing a tank top, so it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> a uh, it was fun. Paint. It was you know l- listen BC Yeah, tell me about BC, the the atmosphere at BC place. Uh BC place was uh, I'm not going to say it was jam packed. It wasn't jam packed. It was about half full. Um, 30,000 fans there, uh, but it was loud and they, they handed out those orange towels. Um, they're not quite terrible towels. I don't know what you call orange towels, but they were, they were, they're just orange towels and it looked good and the fans were pumped and you could tell there are a lot of hardcore fans there that, you know, had been there through the years that were really excited for a playoff game. But there are also a lot of newer fans there Mm -hmm. that were there to, to watch a team that they'd heard a little bit about and a quarterback that they'd heard a little bit about. And I hope that this helps them build their season ticket um, base a little bit more. Sure. I, I, I can't imagine that it's going to hurt. So congratulations to the BC Lions. I'm sure we'll talk to someone from the BC Lions this week as they prepare for, again, it's going to be a very tough test against the Bombers. I was thinking about what the point spread might be against Winnipeg. It could be it could be 7, it could yeah. be 10. Like it, the 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 Blue, uh, the Blue Bombers are uh they're a machine. Mm-hmm. They're going to be expected to get to the Grey Cup in Saskatchewan and I'm sure all their fans have already bought tickets in Saskatchewan for that game. I would love the BC Lions to go in there and pull an upset. Home field advantage uh having a week of rest. And with the dominance that they showed in the regular season, they're going to be like a seven-point favorite in that Western final. Oh, at least. Uh, a reminder that the Lions do head to Winnipeg to face the Bombers on November 13th, so that's coming up this weekend. In the East, it is the Argos um, taking on the Alouettes in Toronto. They will obviously face off in the Grey Cup, which will be in Regina, as Jason mentioned, on November 20th. Okay, to the Canucks we go. Uh, they kind of got buried here, rightfully so. That was a big win by the Lions on Sunday. It was a bad loss by the Canucks on Saturday. Uh, the Nashville Predators rallied from a three-goal deficit to defeat the Vancouver Canucks 4-3 in a shootout at Rogers Arena on Saturday. I I say this knowing that I shouldn't be surprised, but even I was surprised that the Canucks managed to tank and find a way to lose this one, if only because... For the first time all season, through the first 40 minutes of hockey at home, they thoroughly outplayed an opponent. Thoroughly. Cannot understate this. It was like the roles have been reversed from, say, the Buffalo or Carolina game, where it was the Canucks getting caved in on the shot clock and the scoreboard through the first 40 minutes. Nashville did not look like they had much of a shot in that game. Yet, lo and behold... The third period came around, and the same old, same old. The Canucks looked, as Bruce Boudreaux said, afraid to win, maybe scared to lose. I don't know if there's a difference, but it was not good on Saturday night at Rogers Arena. You know, a callback to the BC Lions game, because I was watching Rick Campbell's, the head coach, uh, his press conference, 
and he was talking about the call on third and short where Antonio Pipkin actually threw a touchdown pass. Mm -hmm. And the reporter asked him, you know, where, where did that come from? And he said, listen, we talked about, uh, we talked about beforehand, we're not going to be afraid to win. We're going to go out and get it. And we're going to make plays like that. And I thought immediately of the Canucks Mm -hmm. because the Canucks have been saying in the second intermission between second and third periods, apparently they've been telling themselves, all right, keep trying to go get that goal. Right? Keep trying to build on the lead. Don't sit back. Don't play scared. They played terrified in the third period. In a game which they had dominated. In a game which Nashville seemed completely out of sort. Completely out of sorts. Mm-hmm. They did not look good. I was sitting there going like, man, like, is John Hines going to get fired? At, like th- this at team, the second intermission, this I team looks J- terrible. John Hines might be fired. And I thought yeah. UC Soros might get pulled from the game. Neither of those things happened. Uh, I, not to cut you off there, but I want to play audio from Boost Brudro, if only because it sounds like Groundhog Day a lot. I ca- this could be a clip, Jason, from really any of, I don't know, the first six or seven losses of the year where the Canucks had a lead. Again, as we mentioned off the top, they played 12 games this year. They've had a multi-goal lead in five of them, and they failed to win any of them. It's a shocking, shocking well, They amount. had a multi-goal lead against the Anaheim Ducks, and they That's true. That. That's true, although they did blow that one as well in a certain degree. Anyway, here is the head coach, Bruce Boudreau. Did, wait, wait, wait. How did they blow that? They won it. They, they had the lead, and they blew the lead, and then they came back and reestablished the lead. Oh. So there was a blown lead within the win. Okay. It was a moral <laughs> loss, really. Uh, let's go now. <laughs> To the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, talking yet again about how his team feels and looks afraid to win. Well, I mean, we sat back instead of went after them. And then the next thing you know, they've got two goals. And uh, it's been the story of what we've done a lot in the first five games we were on the road. And um, as a matter of fact, a couple games at home now. So, I mean, I think that sometimes it's like you're afraid to win. And... Uh, uh, I mean, we righted the ship after that, and they didn't have a lot, but uh, uh, it was too too little too late. Why do, you, why do you think they're afraid to win? Like, you guys did a lot of winning as a group last year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, and maybe that's not a good phrase, afraid of winning. I mean, that's uh, – uh, but, you know, we're telling them in the dressing room that we want them to go after that next goal, get that next goal, push, and we sort of sit back a little bit too much. And, uh, and and then it gets too late. So I'm looking at the standings right now, the wild card standings, and I'm seeing some teams around the Canucks that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Louis is off to an awful start, and there are you know there are people that kind of like gifted St. Louis a playoff spot. They're like, yeah, the Blues will make it. Um, Minnesota is off to a shaky start. Calgary, after getting off to a decent first few games, has really fallen on hard times. They're only 5-4-1. and one. And Jonathan Huberto is coming under pressure in Calgary. He, he Even he's admitting, like, I'm not playing very well. Doesn't if look you, great. If you look at the goaltending situation in Edmonton, Jack Campbell isn't playing very well. My point is that the start to this season could have been so much different for the Canucks. It just could have gone so much differently, except for the third period. The third period has has absolutely killed this team. Mm-hmm. It, it it is it is absolutely 
I, I have not seen anything like this in all my years of watching the Vancouver Canucks where they can do some good things, and they are doing some good things. Look at the scoring leaders for the Canucks. Like, Bo Horvat, they're talking about how he's keeping pace for with, like, McDavid for the most goals scored in the NHL. Petey's playing really well. Kuzmenko has been a nice addition. JT Miller, say what you will about him defensively. He's putting up points, right? And then the third period comes around, and the Canucks have just repeatedly, repeatedly blown it. It is a psychological weakness that, again, I, I, like Bruce Boudreaux, he's, he doesn't know what to say. He, no. So many times he's been asked what happens, and he's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how a team comes out repeatedly in the third period and lays an egg. You know, even in the even in the games where um, they weren't leading, mm-hmm. so games against Carolina, for example, or New Jersey, Buffalo, Buffalo, they're playing at home and they they have to make a comeback, and they come out in the third period and they lay an egg. It is just one bad third period mm-hmm. after another for the Canucks, and that to me says that. It's not necessarily all roster construction. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, there are issues with the roster construction, but the biggest issue is the belief and the ability of maybe this is a roster construction. The ability of a team to lock down a game and win a game that it has a lead in. I think it's part of it. I do think it's part of it that you're constantly searching for the right pieces to put in a place to win games. I mean, that's part of roster construction, right? I mean, Boudreaux has a lot of choices on a night-to-night basis about who goes into the lineup and who doesn't. And by the yeah. way, Travis Dermott sounds like he's getting back into the fold as well. So there's another decision. Um, but, at, you know, at the same time, I think a lot of this in the day-to-day where they're existing in lineup decisions and every result mattering, they all matter now. We, we are at the stage of the year. We, we're going to have Ian McIntyre on the show later. Uh, his piece up on sportsnet.ca right now has paragraphs committed to talking about the standings and where they're at after the first 12 games and where Boudreaux's previous teams have been, including that Anaheim team that was one seven and two and then rallied to make the playoffs. Now it's funny because Bruce in a, in a very tiny little sliver, do we have the audio where he talks about what he hoped their record would be going on to this road trip? I think it was the third clip that we went over this morning. They're all looking at it now. And they all realize that you've gone past the point of being, oh, it's just a sluggish start to the season. And this is legitimately going to cost us on two fronts. One, your record stinks. You're right near the basement of the Western Conference in the Pacific Division. You've blown five multi-goal leads. You're bad. The other thing is there's going to be some regret and, ah, I wish we would have done more. Because as you mentioned, Calgary's off to a flat start. St. Louis is off to a flat start. There's a lot of teams that you thought were going to be good that have gotten off to poor starts in the Western Conference. Chicago's got a playoff position right now. Seattle Mm -hmm. is second in the division. Yeah, like St. Louis is below Arizona in the standings. Calgary has not been great. Edmonton, you mentioned the goaltending, has not been great. Nashville, obviously not been great. Minnesota, not been great. But the Canucks have not been able to take advantage of any of these situations. Here now is the head coach again, Bruce Boudreaux, talking about where he thought they would be after finishing his homestand and going out on the road. 
Yeah, well, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, it doesn't matter. It's it's a it's a big thing to get back in the hunt. That's all I'm worried about. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you come back over 500 on this road trip, then all of a sudden you you got some home games, but we've still got to play at home. Vegas, Colorado. It's it's not an easy month, and uh, uh, our goal is to get out of this month, uh, uh, you know, above 500. And if we can do that, I think we'll be we'll be in good stead. So we got a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line that says five multi-goal blown leads. But that means you've had five multi-goal leads. Yeah, that's the frustrating part. Sure does, bud. That was the part where I'm looking at the standings and going, man, for as disastrous as this start has been, it's not because the Canucks have been awful the whole time. In fact, remember how they started the season. They started the season with an unbelievable period against the Edmonton Oilers. They're up 2-0, I believe, after the first and then added to that lead in the second. It was 3-0. They lost that game. And that's how the whole season has gone. And it just could have gone so much differently if they could protect a lead. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Why are they blowing these leads? Why? Why? They are blowing the leads. We can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. There's no dispute in that in that capacity. But why have they done it? Is it psychological? Or is it something else? Is it partly roster construction? We've talked many times about the blue line mm-hmm. and how it isn't very good, for lack of a better way of saying it. We've also talked about the fact that they don't have many great two-way forwards. Yes. They don't have uh, a Selkie winner like the Canucks had in Ryan Kessler. They don't have a Manny Malhotra or an Alex Burrows or, you know, Yannick Hansen. All those guys that helped the Canucks have an unbelievable record a decade ago when they had the lead. They would lock the game down. So... What What is it that is hurting the Canucks right now? Is it goaltending? Do you want to put this on Thatcher Demko or Spencer Martin? Yep. Mostly Thatcher Demko. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. We have an open segment on the other side. Later on in the show, we're going to talk to Joe Haggerty about uh, what's happened in Boston with this Mitchell Miller situation. Cam Neely is speaking to the press right now, and according to Laddie, it's, it's a bit of a disaster in Boston and this press conference. So we'll talk to Joe about that later in the show around 7.30. We're going to talk to IMAC. We'll see if he has any ideas on why the Canucks keep blowing these leads. Mike Tannier for a little NFL talk. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. We do have to keep building our, you know, our mindset, especially late in games, uh, to be better in those situations. We have to know that we have to come the same way, no matter if we're down two or up two, uh, especially going in the last 20. You know, it's not as far off as it seems. 6.33 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That voice you just heard, uh, Canucks defenseman Tyler Myers talking after a 4-3 shootout loss. To the Nashville Predators on Saturday at Rogers Arena, a game in which the Canucks had yet another multi-goal lead. And yet again, 
failed to emerge with the points. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. You asked prior to going to break, Jason, why? Why can the Canucks not hold and then convert these multi-goal leads? Why do they keep blowing leads? Uh, Dan in Fort St. John texts in, the problem with this Canucks team is that it isn't just one thing. The D isn't really built to defend, and they can't transition the puck. Okay, what are they built for? Just sitting around? The PK is brutal, and outside of Pedersen and maybe Mikheyev, none of the forwards can really help prevent goals. Goaltending is also starting to look like an issue. Not sure how this can be fixed, but I do know it will take some bold moves. Here's another text. There's a bunch, and I'm going to read a bunch because I think the uh, listeners need to be heard on this, and they've also got some pretty good analysis here. It comes down to killer instinct. Elite players get better when it matters. Weak-minded players don't. Uh, That's what concerns me about this core. In the third period when it matters, they get soft, and other teams get, well, it says hard, but just, I'm sorry. It's a similar contrast to the playoffs, so I don't see this core translating well in the playoffs when the playoffs are the third period of the entire season. Here's another text. Nobody is talking about this, but I don't think we can underestimate the departure of assistant coach Bradshaw. Probably was a big part of defensive systems last season. Um, here's another one. One more. Tire Man Shane. The Canucks have a country club culture right now. They get complacent with their leads and want to pat themselves on the back and then don't do the extra work. So according to the listeners, it's the defense, it's the forwards, it's the goaltending, it's the coaching staff, and it's the culture. If the Canucks are able to uh, improve on defense at forward in goaltending, yep. uh, in the coaching, like the coaches have to do better too, yep. and if their culture can improve, they'll be just fine. So I don't know why everyone is being so negative about this team. Mm, it's going to be okay. Everything just needs to improve. That's all. It's not like they're 12 games into the season. Everything will be fine. There's a lot of people weighing in here. Uh, if I had to, all joking aside, pick one, uh, to me, it's the reason they can't hold the lead is because of their defense. That de- Their defense is nowhere near good enough. It's, did you see it's Riley, just not. Did you see Riley Stillman's, I think it was Nashville's second goal? What is Stillman doing there? So here's a question I have what, about. What, what is he doing there about, where, he, where he can't even, like, just don't let the puck come in front of the net like that. Here's a question I have about Riley Stillman. Why is Riley Stillman? I have no idea. Why? I, I Are really, you nodding along there, A-Dog? I, I, yes. I, I actually couldn't believe he was in the lineup. Why? G- give me Burroughs. Give me Rathbone. Sure. Yeah. Like, give me anyone. What, I repeat, what has Stillman shown over the course of his Vancouver Canucks career, albeit a very short window, that it justifies him being in over it's crazy healthy viable defensive options who were playing okay i mean i think of the two burrows was more impressive than mm-hmm. rathbone in a short body of work but i i don't get it i don't see what they see i don't see what anybody sees I, i'm sure stillman's going through a tough stretch and he can be a fine competent defenseman but it's not right now and one of the few, and I'm not even going to call it strengths, but one of the few options you have with this particular blue line is you have the flexibility to move guys in and move guys out. 
You have roster choices every single night. They basically have eight guys healthy for six spots, and that's about to be nine. Now, here's the thing. Is switching in uh, Kyle Burrows for Riley Stillman going to fix all that ails this team? God, no. Not even close. But this team right now, there's two things that are going on. Uh, One, and I think everyone on that team and everyone that watches them knows exactly what they're about right now. They're fragile. They can put up a lot of goals. Let's make no mistake about this. In the third period against Anaheim and the first period against Nashville, in 40 minutes, they combined for eight goals. They have firepower. They have a good power play. The problem is they can't defend to save their lives, and more importantly, they can't defend at the most important times of the game. Right? And, they're, and they're not getting the saves now. Even the game against Anaheim was hanging. They scored eight goals, yeah, I know. and it was hanging in the balance for way too long mm-hmm. for an eight-goal performance. So you can say all you want about this team being mortally flawed in every facet, and I think there's something to that. But the, the facts remain. They can find the back of the net. They cannot keep the puck out of it. And I, I would struggle right now to find another team of the 32 teams in the NHL that struggled this much with keeping the puck out of the net and, as our very savvy texter pointed out, have blown, quite frankly, pissed away this many points because of it. Because there's some teams that give up a bunch of goals and they're out of a game right from the first 20 minutes. And it's like, that night is done. Pack it up. Go on to the next one. They kind of should have more than nine points this year, for being perfectly honest. They're a competent hockey team. They've got more than nine points in 12 games. Uh, I'm going to give you a bit of a trivia question here. The Canucks have played 12 games. In how many of those games has the opponent not scored on the power play? 12 games. How many games have the Canucks played when the opponent has not scored a power play I'm gonna goal? Say, Zero. I'm going to say one. Zero. One. I think it's one. I think it's 11 of 12 games. They've given, the they've answer given up is one. one. Yeah. So the Preds went one for five on the power play against the Canucks on Saturday. And here's the thing. The Canucks were like, the PK was better tonight. Yep. And it was. It was better. But it still gave up a power play goal. Right? There are games that you can play when you don't give up any power play goals. It's actually quite common in the NHL where a team will hold the other team to zero power play goals. The Canucks have done it once this season. And this is so frustrating because it was the exact same thing last season yes. that helped sink them early on. You know, good teams have good good special teams, but not just the power play. We talk about the power play a lot because it's fun to talk about. The PK, I mean, until the last year in Vancouver, really, it doesn't get discussed all that much because it's just it's not that exciting to talk about. But the PK is just killing this team. Mm-hmm. And that is a roster construction issue for sure. They just have not brought in enough guys to do the job well. And, you know, talk to Yannick Hansen about this, who comes on the station quite regularly, and he was a really good penalty killer. Mm -hmm. And the the teams there that he had, the Canucks teams where he killed penalties, those guys just knew how to do it. The number of times that an opponent has – gotten a completely free stick on a puck where no one's tying up the guy in front or the someone's just wide open or passes are just slicing and dicing the Canucks. That's not a that's not a it's not a matter of will. 
Like the Canucks are willing to kill, but it's just a matter of, they don't know how to do it. They don't know where they should be on the ice. Mm-hmm. They don't know if they should be aggressive, passive, you know, when they're, they're, when they're aggressive, they're too aggressive. When they're passive, they're, they're too passive. You know, I thought that Horvat and Miller might be taken off the PK, but they were, they were back on it. And there are issues with faceoffs. I mean, I'm not a big, like, faceoffs are important guy, but they are when you're killing penalties. Yep. And that's why Horvat is out there all the time, because he's the only guy that can consistently win draws. But here's the problem. Then he's on the PK, and he's not a good penalty killer. So that's a roster construction issue. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm, I'm not going to put completely at the feet of Jim Rutherford, because a lot of guys kill penalties, and this was an issue last season. Is it a coaching issue? Yeah, kind of. It's a coaching coaching issue, but don't don't think that the Canucks could just bring in another guy mm-hmm. and the PK is going to be fine. This is a personnel issue. They do not have the Yannick Hansons or the Ryan Kessler's, Alex Burrows. Those are the forwards. And think about the defenseman. Alex Edler was a really good penalty killer. Chris Tanev was a really good penalty killer. Blocking shots, yeah, you have to be courageous to do it. But you also have to know, you know, where to be on the ice. They have the wor- obviously the worst penalty kill in the NHL right now at 60.5, not 65, 60.5%. The only team that's remotely close to them, in fact, the only team, the only other team that's sub 70% is Anaheim who we saw the other night might be just as bad defensively as the Canucks are right now. So that's not company you want to keep being in the same conversation defensively with Anaheim in any regard is bad. And Anaheim, quite frankly, suffers from a lot of the same problems that the Canucks do. The goaltending, which they relied upon heavily in years past has not been up to snuff. They've got a patchwork defense that doesn't look very good. And it seems as though every time that they go down a man, it's panic time. They also, I mean, they haven't had as many multi-goal leads as the Canucks. But anyway, that's that's a separate conversation because I don't think that the bar should be the Anaheim Ducks in any way, shape, or form. I kind of want to get back to the realization of this group, and especially from head coach Bruce Boudreaux, that uh, they need to start getting some kind of results going their way in order to, and again, I think this is a pie-in-the-sky thing, but I'll throw it out there get this season back on track and try and get back into some semblance of playoff form in terms of being in the race. I know a lot of you will look at this and say, Hey, dummy. That's they're talking to me. Hey, dummy, look at the standings. The Canucks aren't that far out of a playoff spot. In which case I let Jason retort. Do you understand how math works? But, um, Boudreaux's talking about it. They're talking about this upcoming road trip. He talked about where they wanted to be record wise. He wanted them to go out on this Eastern Canada road swing at four and six, they fell short of that. And there's no real reason that they should have. I want to reiterate, Saturday night, for all the flaws that the Canucks have. That was the most inexcusable blown lead as far as I'm concerned. If we're going to power rank all the blown leads, that they, one was they the just, worst. They were better than Nashville. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. And you're at home. And, they you, were, and you need it. They did all the things they needed to do through 40 minutes. They suppressed shots. Nashville had like 13 shots on net. Mm-hmm. They weren't getting any high danger scoring chances. They were the Canucks were generating a ton of good offensive looks. They looked good. They looked sharp, and then it just all fell apart in a third period where I don't know if you heard. Like, I don't even think Nashville played that well in the third. 
No. Nope. You know, I wasn't sitting there like, nope. you know, like I, th- they played better than they did in the first and second, but that doesn't say much. I didn't even think Nashville played that well. The Canucks just found ways to surrender goals and not score any. Shorty and Cheech coming back from break from the second intermission. Cheech kind of put it out there. He's like, well, if you're if you're Nashville, you're looking at it and you're down 3-1 and you're getting caved in on the shot clock. But it's 3-1. You've got a chance. You're in this game. All it takes is a couple shots. That approach should not completely unwind another team. <laughs> Is it, safe, is it safe to assume... They're kind of in the game. And they're like, oh, God, they're kind of in the game. What are we going to do? We're freaking out. Is it safe to assume the book on the Canucks from all the other teams just don't go into the third period with a crazy deficit yes. and you'll probably still just, win? Just hang like, around. Like, every other team knows this now, right? If we're not playing well, just hang around. Ugh. Just wait. I don't... Apparently, Eckholm had some comments after the game, and I apologize to our listeners and our viewers for not having them at the ready, but he essentially said, like, if we kind of knew the book on these guys that... They're mentally fragile, which is fragile. And if you hang around and you just stay in the game, mm-hmm. they'll kind of find a way to unwind themselves. And, yeah. and, and it was actually our game plan to play pretty badly in the first two periods. You suck them in. It's like Ali on the players ropes. on the bench. It's like, why are they all smiling at us at the end of the second period? They We're do. winning right now. This My, isn't good. Michael McCarron's running around taking stupid penalties. He's like, just wait for the third. Uh, <laughs> so here's what's coming up for the Canucks. It's, it, it, it's a bit of an interesting road trip in that they start off with back-to-back back-to-backs let me explain that Tuesday and Wednesday they play in Ottawa and Montreal then they get a couple days off and then they play Saturday and Sunday in Toronto and Boston respectively and then they finish it off Tuesday next Tuesday obviously in Buffalo against the Sabres so it's three Eastern Canadian teams in Ottawa Montreal Toronto and then they finish it with the Bruins and the Sabres, then they come back for a few games against L.A. and Vegas, and then they're on the road again into Colorado, Vegas, and San Jose. But just let's just keep it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Canadians. The, the, the next, and the next Boston. five games here. Two back to backs, so we're probably going to see Spencer Martin in good two of these games. Good. Well, he, good, he, but he didn't play well in his last appearance. He was awful in his last appearance against. Was that Anaheim? Yeah, he was terrible. What, what happened in that game? <laughs> okay, well, Thatcher Demko is probably responding to you. Well, if they scored eight goals for me, I'd probably win some of these. Hey. Goaltending's really bad, really bad for the Canucks right yeah. now. And we're not trying to let Thatcher Demko off the hook. I know there's a lot of people out there like the media isn't blaming Thatcher Demko enough. It's because I think there's a feeling out there that Demko covered up so many of these issues last season. Mm-hmm. That it's weird to like blame Demko for where the Canucks are right now. But if Demko hadn't been so good last season, would this management group have doubled down on this current group of players? I don't think so. It's a fair question to ask. I'm gonna throw Even though management, this is the weird thing about management. Management knew there was these issues. Yeah. In fact, they went out and said, like, we need to be better because while we're not going to apologize for having a great goalie, uh, Clearly, Thatcher Demko is covering up some of our issues, and yet then they doubled down on this group. Well, okay. Um, I I get that line of thinking. I want to turn this over to Laddie because my thoughts on goaltending, and this is absolutely nothing to do with metrics. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. But having played in net in soccer, um, I feel at a time there has to be 
not necessarily every game, but some games where your goalie goes out and makes saves that they're not supposed to make, right? They're supposed to do the above expected. The old timely save. Not even timely, just uh, there's going to be moments where your goalie comes up bigger than expected, right? And that is partly due to the fact that some teams go out and find goalies that are better than average, which is what Demko is. I've yet to see a single game this year where Demko is strung together, I don't know, let's just ballpark it, four or five saves, where he goes out and does more than what's expected. Well, what UC Saros did for the Predators during the game, did Saros play well all the game? No, he didn't. But ask Sheldon Dries if UC Saros played a good game. Dries had like three or four chances, I think, at the end of a power play. Might have been in the second period where the Canucks really could have put that game away. Mm -hmm. And Saros came up big. Thatcher Demko has not done that for the Canucks this season. So, Laddie, is this analysis or assessment fair on behalf of the goalie brethren or am I being a jerk? I wouldn't say you're being a jerk, but it's a little unfair because we talked about it with Woodley a little while ago, but... The goals that are going in on Demko have all been, you know, plays that have been funneled to the side of the net, sure. you know, two on ones, backdoor tap ins, stuff that you'd have to cheat in order to get over there quicker, essentially. Sure. And then you're sacrificing the front door when you do that because you're more focused on that backdoor tap in. So I, I don't know. The Demko's come close to making a few of those saves. He's been inches okay. away. So I don't know really if you can pin him too much on anything because other than that it's it's been that structure in front of him I think I mean I think main I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people are not putting this at the feet yeah. or skates as it were of Thatcher Demko I think the worst goal Demko's given up in the stretch I think yeah. if you're blaming the Canucks issues on Thatcher Demko I think you're totally misguided I don't and think I don't think I, I don't you think really blame though well there yeah there is there's a bunch of people uh in the Dunbar Lumber text line that are saying the only reason the Canucks are in this situation is because of goaltending. And I think if you're saying that right now, like you're out of your mind, you, you, you're not watching, you haven't been watching the Canucks over the last few years. Um, you don't look at the obvious weaknesses they've had um, with their penalty killing. Uh, you don't really understand that their forwards don't, there's not enough two-way ability. There's not enough two-way ability. It's like, I don't know what the defense is. Like it, it is it is really frustrating because you sit there and go, well, they need more puck movers. They need to transition the puck well, but they also need to defend well. They need to defend better in their own end. Well, what do they do well then? Is there anything that they do well? They are they just bad they defensemen? Is that the problem? Yeah. Are, are Is there just an issue of there are too many defensemen on the Canucks who are not very good defensemen, mm-hmm. puck moving ability or defensive ability? Well, I yeah. think that's the case. I mean, here's the thing. When it's down to the marrow and they need to try and protect the lead, uh, for better or for worse, guys that get a lot of ice time are Shen and Myers. And those are guys that, quite frankly, they struggle moving the puck and making quick, smart decisions when they're under pressure. That's the book on the team right now, is that if we're down against the Canucks going into the third period, we could ratchet up the pressure. Boys, save your legs for the final 20. Don't worry about the first 40 because you will caught. Here's the thing. When they struggle under pressure, it's just flip it out and try and get like 15 seconds of breath. And then, and that was against Nashville. And the puck's right back in and mm-hmm. right back in. And as you pointed out, Nashville didn't even play that well in the third period. They just found the ice got tilted a little bit by putting pressure on these guys. Outside of Hughes who can skate his way out of pressure and pass his way out of pressure. 
they have a lot of guys that struggle with intensity, getting ratcheted up in the third period. And this is a roster construction thing because they rely on and a it's lot. A, I think it's a leadership issue. I think when sure. when your top players are also, I don't want to say melting down, then what do you expect the soldiers to do? You know, if your generals are are melting down, if your generals are showing a lack of composure and they're not coming up big in those moments, I don't think everyone else is going to be mm-hmm. coming up big. Well, I don't know. I don't know who the guy on the blue line is that they look to. Maybe Hughes. Well, that's a great point. No one. I don't think there's anyone that they can look to and say you're the guy that can lead us out of this. It's not Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is really struggling. I think he's still hurt too. Like I don't. I don't think well, he's 100 yeah, percent healthy. Playing the wheels off him. Yeah, it's it's a bad look. When we did the endless, endless, it felt like the entire summer season preview of this Canucks team, what did we say time and time and time again? If healthy, if 100% healthy, this blue line would be an adequate NHL blue line. I'm ready to go back and revisit that prognosis because, one, I mean, they're not healthy. They're banged up. But, two... It's becoming glaringly obvious that even if this team was 100% healthy, it would still be a subpar NHL blue line, mm-hmm. right? I'm not sure that a healthy Tucker Pullman and a healthy Travis Dermott push this team to no. being one of the top 15 blue lines, or 16, sorry, because there's 32 teams now in the NHL. Ethan Bear looks okay. Ethan Bear does look good. House of positivity, yep. kind of. And But here's the other thing. They waited until this point of the season to get that deal done. Rutherford came out and said it to LeBron in the athletic piece that they've been working on this for a while and they wanted to do this deal for a while. In my mind, if that's what the price was to get Bear in the door, they should have paid it a long time ago and should have had him in training camp or at some point prior to, what, nine or ten games into the season. Because now you're wasting time. The first game, I had someone that was in the stands watching text me and they're like, Bear looks gassed. And I'm like, yeah, so he should. He hasn't played an NHL game in yeah. nine or ten months or whatever it is. So you wasted even more time, got off to an even slower start by not making this adjustment that, quite frankly, based on the price paid and the fact he wasn't going anywhere else, you could have had him a while ago. Now, he looks good. It's great. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a third-pairing guy who was behind Jalen Chatfield in the pecking order in Carolina. Like, he's not going to solve your season. He's I not. think that's a little misleading just because I don't think the Hurricanes wanted to play him because he'd asked for a trade. It was misleading, but at yeah. the same time, no, I know if he's going to help them win yeah. hockey games, he's no, probably in the lineup, right? I get And I get it. I'm, I'm framing it in a way that makes him sound like a spare part. But at the end of the day, like Ethan Bear for a lot of NHL teams is at best a third-pairing guy and definitely not a savior on the blue line. Bill in New West texts in, Seahawks, please. Okay, Bill. Fine. You got your wish. We'll talk to Mike Tanier. In just a few minutes, uh, we'll talk about the Seahawks and the rest of the NFL story from the weekend. You're listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.